I want to let you know, I I got a phone call before worship, and um, I just want to invite you all to be lifting up Millie Hendricks in your prayers. She uh, she fell and and broke uh, um, a bone, and so she's in the local hospital, and so let's keep her in our prayers, and if you think about it, drop her a note or give her a call this week. Um, So I just want to add that. You know, there is nothing like um, doing um, three memorial services in four days um, to get your attention um, and to make you think about perspective on life. Um, And um, while this has been a a difficult week in that that this community has uh, really um, lost in the last few weeks some pillars of the community, Um, It is an opportunity for us to stop and to uh, really evaluate our perspective on life and our understanding of what it means to live life here in this world. And um, I couldn't think of um, any better um, place for us to begin than in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Now... um, For many of you, you may be shaking your head because you remember how the book of Ecclesiastes begins, right? Um, It begins by saying this, the words of the teacher of the assembly, David's son, the king in Jerusalem, it's thought to be possibly Solomon who wrote this, perfectly pointless, says the teacher, perfectly pointless, everything is perfectly pointless. All right, pastor, really? You're going to talk about Ecclesiastes? Um, And in verse 3 says, what do people gain from all their hard work that they work so hard at under the sun? Now, I think for many of us, we have heard this book of Ecclesiastes, and it's probably been presented to us as this um, really depressing book that just talks about the meaninglessness of life. And yet the reality, that word that um, we struggle to Um, translate in the English translation, some will say meaningless, some say pointless, some say vanity. That word is really a hevel. And what it really means is it means that life is like a vapor. Uh, It means that life is kind of elusive and hard to get our hands around and hard to grasp. And and I think when we understand that better, it's not that the teacher is saying that life has no point or that it's meaningless. It's that the teacher is saying life is really elusive, at least from our perspective. It is hard for us to get our arms around and to understand. And in fact, we live a good portion of our life, don't we? Trying to understand and control uh, situations around us. Uh, We live trying to control as much of life as we can. In the ancient world, that meant that people um, offered up sacrifices to their gods uh, because their understanding was everything happened uh, and they needed to appease a god in order to control. In our day and time, uh, we seek to appeal to knowledge and to wealth and to other things. And in fact, um, in this uh, book, this book of Ecclesiastes in the Hebrew tradition is actually read during the festival of Booth, and they saw it as a book of joy and celebration. And so uh, I hope as I unpack some aspects of it, we will uh, see what the teacher really had to say to us, and I think it is important. 
If I were to sum it up, it would simply be that the teacher understands that if we are to enjoy life, it is a matter of perspective. It's a matter of the perspective from which we come. And in fact, in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, indeed, uh, the teacher, this great teacher of wisdom, uh, seeks to tell us that uh, satisfaction in life, spends two chapters telling us where not to find joy in life. It says, you know, you're not going to find joy in life from simply seeking wisdom and knowledge. Now, this is one I have trouble with because um, I think, you know, that I can always find a book that will give me the answers and tell me how things are supposed to be. And, and sometimes I think if I just get more knowledge, I'll be able to control life. I'll be able to um, control my future. I'll be able to solve every problem that comes. Well, life hasn't worked that way. Uh, The teacher also uh, tells us that uh, seeking after achievement also uh, will not satisfy us, will not give meaning to life. And especially uh, the teacher highlights, you know, it, it, we, we can work to achieve so much in our life. And, and sometimes what we find is after we have achieved things, we still don't feel that satisfaction. You know, I know in, in our own lives, um, when Deb and I had drifted away from, from God and, and on the outside, the world would have said we had it all. And yet there was an emptiness. And that's what this teacher of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us. Is that when we seek after wisdom, when we just seek after achievements, uh, really it ends up leaving an emptiness, not a fulfillment. The teacher also says that uh, seeking after wealth is not the answer either. Because in reality, when we seek after wealth, we discover that we can never gain enough wealth to make us feel secure. We can never gain enough wealth that will, uh, take, uh, that will take care of that deep hole within our soul. And just as the teacher says uh, that all work and no play is bad for you, the teacher also says all play and no work won't do it either. Simply chasing after the next pleasure or next excitement in life will also just leave us wanting more and more and more. And in fact, if indeed that's how we live life, we will find an emptiness in the midst of our life because ultimate purpose and meaning and satisfaction of life do not come from wisdom or achievement or wealth. And, um, and so if we listen to the teacher, we begin to like, oh, man. So I thought you said this was an uplifting um, book, Pastor. So far, it sounds pretty despairing. Um, in chapter 3, uh, I'm not sure it gets, uh, maybe it gets a little better in chapter 3 where the, the teacher begins to say, you know, there is, there is a time and a season for everything. And, and talks about, you know, a time of giving birth, a time of dying, of planting, uh, of uprooting what is planting. Um, gives this a very, um, this very 
perspective of life that, well, there, there is this um, rhythm to life. There is this rhythm to life of, of these things that, uh, that happen to us. And, and maybe we begin to feel a little more comfortable knowing that there is a, a rhythm of life. And then after all of that, then the, um, the teacher says this, beginning in verse 9. Um, what, whatever has happened, that's what will happen again. Whatever has occurred, that will occur again. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, it helps if I read the right chapter. I'm like, that is not the passage I'm supposed to be reading. <laughs> let's, let's look at chapter 3 instead of chapter 1. How's that? What, what do workers gain from all their hard work? So even after this, uh, the teacher goes back to, so what do you gain from all your hard work? He says, I have observed the task that God has given human beings. God has made everything fitting in its time, but he has also placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for them but to enjoy themselves and to do what's good while they live. Moreover, this is the gift of God, that all people should eat, drink, and enjoy the results of their hard work. I know that whatever God does will last forever. It's impossible to add to it or take away from it. God has done this so that people are reverent before him. Whatever happens has already happened, and whatever will happen has already happened before God. And God looks at all that is driven away. Uh, this this uh, passage in summing up these the seasons, it's as if uh, the teacher says, well, you know, we know that there's this rhythm to life. We know that there are these seasons and these times of life uh, that we all experience. But the problem is, even though we know there's this rhythm to life, what we don't know is we don't know when we will experience those seasons. Um, we don't we can't predict when we will experience any of these seasons, and yet we know that they are all a part of life. And so, in essence, um, the, um, the teacher is trying to point out that though there is this rhythm, there's still this sense that we uh, don't know exactly what to expect when, and, and we indeed are not in control of as much as we often think we are. But that is not necessarily bad news. The, the, um, the author goes on in uh, this as he talks about these, these rhythms, and, and there's many passages throughout this essay where, where the teacher um, has what I call these who-know passages which if that's all there were, we might be a little depressed. He says, who knows whether the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down. Remember, Ecclesiastes is written before Jesus' time. Who knows what is good for mortals while they live their few lives of this vaporous life? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? Who knows, who knows, who knows, the teacher keeps saying. And this teacher's supposed to be a teacher of wisdom. And yet, over and over and over, he says, who knows? But here in this passage, and so it is important uh, when, when the, um, it's important when the author says, this is what I know, that we pay attention. 
And so in these verses in 12, I think it's important for us to hear when, when the author says, I know that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves. When he says, um, I know there is nothing better than to eat and to drink and to enjoy life and to do good with God. You know, sometimes I think we can lose that perspective on life and we just think that life is something that we survive. It's something that we seek and must control in order to enjoy, and yet the teacher says that is not the case. In fact, as I hear this passage, as, as I read Ecclesiastes, I hear uh, that the teacher telling us that if we really want to enjoy life, if we're going to be able to eat and drink and enjoy the presence of other people and to enjoy the, the fruits of our labor, then it begins not with us seeking after the wealth or, or seeking after the rewards or seeking after pleasures or seeking after achievements. It begins by living each and every moment of our present time relying on God. If we are truly to enjoy life, it means that the only moments that we have for sure are the moments in the present, and we are called to live those in the presence of God, walking alongside Jesus and trusting, trusting the future to God. Not trying to manipulate it or control it ourselves, uh, but living in the presence with God and knowing that whatever the future might hold, there God will be with us. It will change our perspective and how we live if we can get our head around that one thing. God put us here on earth, not just to wait until we die for some utopia in, in heaven or afterlife. He put us here to enjoy life. And the way to get the most out of life is to live it in God's presence. To live it in God's presence. This is part of what we seek to do this Lenten season. We seek to slow down and to ask ourselves, what is it? What is it that we need to do so that we live more of the moments of our lives in God's presence? Doing the good that God has for us, but also simply enjoying life. We forget sometimes that God created us so that we could enjoy that relationship. And, and we don't always have to be uh, productive or producing or achieving. Sometimes we can just slow down and enjoy the presence of God around us. We can slow down and know that God delights in who we are, not just what we do or what we've accumulated. God delights in who we are and simply enjoys spending time with us. Stop. 
and get your head around that thought. God enjoys us being in his presence. God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us, even in these difficult times, to experience his presence. So that we might move forward, so that we might trust, so that we might gain strength, so that we might experience healing and wholeness, and yes, even joy. You know, I I wish that I had that one sermon I could pull out of my back pocket. Um, And I could give over and over again, and I I, I I could convince people to adopt this perspective of life. This perspective that we are simply called to live each moment in God's presence. Because you see, uh, life is full of uncertainties. You know, this promise that the the teacher in Ecclesiastes does um, does not try to convince us that life does not have uncertainties. That life is not still um, mysterious. He simply tries to tell us that as we experience these seasons of life, if we're going to to come through them, experience them to the fullness of what God anticipated, we need to, to rely on God in the here and now and in every moment. I wish that I could download the experiences that I have had uh, so that you too might know. But but this, I can tell you, despite life's uncertainties and life's unpredictability, uh, uh, reliance on God has allowed me to enjoy the blessings of God more more, more intensely and genuinely and, and, and deeply and more powerfully than I ever imagined when I was living life chasing after other things. Relying on God has enabled me, despite my past mistakes and my failures, I can live without this unrelenting sense of uh, of guilt and anguish and despair and regret. Knowing that, that God is a God of second chances and God does not hold those things against me and will not hold them over my head. I have learned that living with this reliance on God, it has, it has enabled me to get through some of the most difficult and dark times of life without becoming bitter and resentful and cynical of life itself. In fact, even in those times, I have found that God speaks to me and enables me in those difficult times to have a greater appreciation for the blessings and the gift of life that he has given me. We have found in times of major decisions that we can rely on God. We can can attempt to gather all the information we have and make the the best possible decision that, that we humanly can. And yet, to listen to God's voice and to do what is right and what God is calling us to do, trusting 
that God will honor and be with us, even though there remain uncertainties. And so as we begin Lent, this is the time for us to pause, to reflect, to adjust our perspective on life. To let go of some things we need to let go of and to take up some things we need to take up so that we might live every moment in the presence of God. This is the time for us to trust God in the future and rely on Him in the present. And when we do those things, I believe we will discover what the teacher in Ecclesiastes told us. There is nothing... Let me read exactly what he says. There is, there is nothing better for them but to enjoy life and do what's good while they live. It is a gift of God that all people should eat, drink, enjoy the results of their life, knowing that whatever God is in, whatever God is in, we experience shalom and well-being. Amen. This week, um, as, we, um, as you're invited to respond to um, Lent this, um, each Sunday, I think we're going to um, have some items in the back of the church which will encourage you uh, for, to spend some time in the week uh, further putting into practice what's been suggested. So Kobe has put together a, a, a wonderful table in the back, and I, there's some um, take-home sheets that uh, just invite us and guide us through each morning of how to go about Lent. And, and this first week really does begin with helping to shape our perspective, helping to remind us that God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to identify those things that give us joy in life, and God wants us uh, to, to know that there are things we do and, th and ways we act that bring joy and warmth to God also that causes Him to delight in our presence. And so you're invited, um, if, if, you, um, if you're online, you're invited to stop in the sanctuary this week and um, just spend some time with God here or, um, or pick up one of these sheets and take them home. And I think we'll get those on the email this week also for folks. But I invite you this Lent um, to not just uh, come and participate in Sunday worship, but also to begin to let go of what you need to let go of and take up what you need to take up so that you might live each and every moment in God's presence. And now um, they're going to sing, Take Time to Be Holy. And, and I like to remind folks, we hear this word holy often, and, and we think the word holy means to live morally or righteously. And holy means to be set apart for God. And so as you hear this song and it says, Take Time to Be Holy, it's not saying take time to be a righteous or a goody two-shoes. It's saying take time to be set apart with God and for God. May that be our goal this week.